Thank you for joining the Mount Nebo Leadership Podcast, Leaders Lift. I'm your host, Greg Cunningham, and I'm excited you join me to talk about potential and helping others get the most out of life. This is episode seven, and is the third episode in my relationship focus series. We've talked about the foundations of relationship building, and last week we talked in depth about trust. If you haven't already listened to those episodes, now is a good time. Now, once you've established trust, then you can continue to work on those key relationships, and doing so can yield tremendous results, especially when compared with the alternative of just hoping things work out. Today, I want to talk about how relationships relate to potential and getting the most out of life. I'll start with a couple of stories about one of my absolute heroes, then a book recommendation that's about helping others do and be more, and then we'll dive in and talk about potential and relationships and getting the most out of life. I hope you'll stick with me through the end. There are many individuals in my life that taught me about relationships and how those relationships are key to getting more out of our lives. One of the greatest examples of this was my grandpa Tony. When I was born, I was the fifth generation on my mom's side of the family. My parents were both very young, so I spent a lot of time with those grandparents and I have a lot of memories. Each grandparent influenced me and helped me become the person that I am today. But for today's episode, I want to highlight just one. Over the last few years, I realized how much my grandpa influenced some of the core leadership principles I try to live. He was all about relationships, and so I thought I'd share a bit about him and some of the lessons I learned from him. Lesson one, no matter what, you're setting an example for someone. The way you live your life is an example, so be deliberate in what that example is. Grandpa and I never had a conversation about leadership. Instead, he just lived his life, and that was more than enough. And I'll share some examples below that show the impact his life had on me and on others. Lesson two, family first. Grandpa never missed a game regardless of the sport. Not only that, but there were very few practices that he missed. He was always welcome on the sidelines by the coaches and the team. During the NFL season, Monday nights were a special time. No matter what either of us had going on, we watched football together at his house. We would make a fire in the fireplace in the basement and have a duck lunch crackers with mayo, pepperoni, salami, cheese. I think it actually might be called a Dutch lunch, but I've been told that I kept calling it a duck lunch, and so that name just stuck. Now, I wasn't the only one that felt this way about Grandpa. Each of his grandkids had similar experiences. We all felt like we were the most important person in the world, and I don't ever remember him missing anything that was even semi-important. Lesson number three, make serving others a priority. While the first two lessons are great in and of themselves, this one is probably the most powerful. I don't know that I've met anyone who served others the way he did. When I was in second grade, he started volunteering in my classroom. His job was to read to the kids during reading time. Once he started, he just didn't stop. As he aged, his eyesight became a problem and he was no longer able to read to the kids, so they read to him. My sister, who is 11 years younger than me, remembers him volunteering to open the gym in the mornings before school and to supervise the kids that needed to come early. Eventually, he just couldn't keep going over to the school, and once he had to stop, he was honored by the governor of Utah for decades of volunteer work and the impact he made on the kids in that school. Lesson number four, be present and listen. And lesson number five, love those you serve. And love can overcome a lot of barriers. And let me share a story about both of these lessons. In our town, there was a care center where members of our congregation were responsible for facilitating a religious service in the center. I don't know how long he had that assignment, but it felt like it was my entire childhood. 
at least up until he was physically wasn't able to do it anymore. There were a lot of Sundays that I went with him to the care center. We would walk the halls and invite any that were interested to come to church. During these walks, I observed what I considered peculiar interactions, and let me explain. Our small town was a coal mining town. That meant a lot of diversity from the immigrants that had settled in the area to work in the mines. The peculiar part of Sundays at the care center was how many people would talk to grandpa in foreign languages. I was absolutely stunned that my grandpa knew so many languages. He would listen, nod, and then talk to them in English. They would smile, and I could feel the love there. So here's the secret. Grandpa didn't speak anything but English. But that didn't stop him from listening and loving them. They felt the love, I felt it, and that overcame the language barrier. These examples show how the little things Grandpa did allowed him to build solid relationships. He was certainly happy with his life, and anyone that knew, he w- knew him was better for it as well. With this week's focus on using relationships to help ourselves and others meet our potential and get the most out of life, I'd like to recommend another book. The book is called Multipliers by Liz Wiseman. There's an Amazon affiliate link in the show notes. This was an incredible read, and I've been back through my notes on it more than once. There are several key concepts I've been trying to apply. The one I focus on the most, and I still need to work on, is handing back the marker. And if you're intrigued by that, take a look at the book. That concept is also applicable anytime you're helping someone solve a problem or helping them work to meet their potential. So let's start diving in and start by talking about potential. Many years ago, I was part of a church group where our leader was big into professional, personal, and church training. One day he showed us a video called Everyday Creativity. It's by DeWitt Jones, who was a photographer for National Geographic. Similar to the book recommendation earlier, I've gone back through my notes many times and I've used it in other organizations. One key point he made that really stuck with me is that we need to put ourselves in the place of most potential. He talked about how in photography you have to have technique as well as be in the right place at the right time and have the right angle, lenses, etc. in order to get that shot. He also pointed out that it takes thousands of photos for a single National Geographic article. So even when you are in the place of most potential, there is continued refinement and experimentation until you get the perfect shot. Both of these concepts have application in all aspects of our lives. In general, if we've not aligned ourselves with our strengths and our overall goals for life, how can we even hope to achieve our fullest potential? As we've been discussing for the last several weeks, that means we need to have a good understanding of who we are and who we want to be as well as what we want out of life. This isn't just for us, but is also for those we're responsible for, such as our families. It's our job as parents, grandparents, and other influential adults to see that the upcoming generations have a chance to reach their fullest potential. That means we need to help them understand themselves and support them as they work to develop the skills that will allow them to reach that potential. Includes helping them realize that it may take thousands of shots to get there and teaching them how to course correct, either because they got off course or because it wasn't really the right path to start with, and then supporting them as they do so. I got to speak with DeWitt Jones at a conference much later in my career. It was great to hear him talk about the video and then get to thank him in person for the impact it had in my life. If you're interested, I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but be warned, it's priced for a professional training environment. Just a couple of thoughts before I wrap up this section. Why is it important to put ourselves in the place of most potential and how does that relate to relationships? 
Well, Shauna Kaur, whose works I've recommended in the past, said this on a podcast recently. Happiness is moving toward our potential. That makes a lot of sense to me. I found that when we're on a path, even if it's difficult and maybe not terribly straight, that aligns with our strengths and is headed in the general direction of where we want to go in life, we get more out of life and have a much better shot at real happiness. It's amplified if you have a good idea of who you are and what you want, but I've also found that even for those that don't have a good grasp on those kinds of things, they can at least tell that something is off that they aren't aligned with their potential. So there is a direct correlation between moving towards our potential and happiness or getting the most out of life. As for relationships, can you think of anything that has a greater impact on your happiness than the key relationships in your life? Think about the relationship with your spouse, kids, parents, key friends. What about at work with your manager or key teammates? All of those relationships will have a significant impact on your happiness and helping you get the most out of life by living up to your potential. Let's take a quick break and then talk about how leaders can work towards their potential and help others do the same. If you're enjoying this episode, remember to subscribe, it's free, and share it with others in your circle. Reviews are also a great way to spread the word. And if you want more leadership and personal development resources, be sure to visit my website at www.mountainebooconsulting.com. And while you're there, sign up for my email list. And if you do sign up for that email list, I'll send you a list of my favorite books, personal and professional. As leaders, we have the ability to significantly influence others meeting their potential. And as I've mentioned in the past, we also need to take responsibility for our own paths and not assume others will do it for us. That includes identifying our potential and aligning our lives with it. In both of these scenarios, helping others and helping ourselves, we first need to identify potential and then as leaders focus on lifting and inspiring ourselves and those around us towards that potential. Now first on evaluating personal potential, we absolutely need to do this for ourselves and you can use the various techniques I discussed in the Knowing Yourself episode, strengths and weaknesses, uh, the personality styles, all of those things and if you haven't listened to those episodes you can go back and grab them from there. Then, once we have an idea about our own path, we can start helping others on theirs. But I do want to give just a word of caution here. When it comes to personal potential, I don't recommend being the judge of what someone else's ultimate potential might be. Even in a professional environment, leaders should be cautious about determining overall potential. As a leader, you definitely can determine if the individual has the potential in their current position, but just be careful beyond that. Ultimately, I believe as leaders, we should support others in determining their potential, but allow them to make the final call. We can provide advice, guidance, and support, but ultimately it needs to be their decision. Let's talk about a few specifics. Whether it's our own potential or that of others, there are some common things you can do in both of those scenarios. Since I covered these in previous episodes and you can get more detail there, I'll just briefly cover them here. First, what are your likes and dislikes? Then, what are your motivations? And these are the kinds of things that get us out of bed and directly tie into what you want to get out of life. Motivation could be something as simple as a family vacation, or you could want a successful leadership career, early retirement, making a difference in the world. These are all examples of things that could be motivators. Another thing you want to look at when determining potential is what are we naturally good at? Evaluate yourself and help others do that evaluation. We may need to ask others for help with this one. We might have a good idea of what we're naturally good at, 
but generally those close to us can see those things that were that are natural strengths that we have these could be hard skills like organization or writing speaking problem solving etc it could also be soft skills like inherently understanding the needs of others really good listening skills or showing empathy so those are just a few examples of things that we could naturally be good at. Another thing to look at is what energizes us and what drains our energy. All of us are gonna have things we do that absolutely drain us. Even if we find the ideal life opportunity and that doesn't matter whether it's a professional or personal opportunity, it's not gonna be all amazing. There will be aspects that drain our energy. And the key is to have more things that energize us regularly versus those that do not. If your life is filled with energy draining activities, how happy are you really going to be? And are you ever going to meet your fullest potential? What is our personality style and how does it impact our life? And this is another one where you can really help those around you by helping them evaluate their personality styles. And you definitely can evaluate your own assessment. And if you want help with that, reach out or listen to my personality style episode. But most leaders are going to find that there are plenty of people in their lives that don't know what a personality style is. And if they took the assessment, they wouldn't really know what to do with it anyway. So you can help guide them through the process of understanding themselves better and using that to align their lives. And that personality style assessment report is a great way to do that. And then another thing related to potential, and I don't know that I've really talked about this one in any of my episodes, but that's what resources do you have at your disposal? Expertise. Do you have expertise in something? Do those around you have expertise in that area? Do you have a support group around you that will support you in reaching your fullest potential? And if not, that's something you definitely need to work on. Do you have educational opportunities to help you move in that direction? And then there's probably a million other of those things that you can look for. But look at the resources that you have around you to help you meet your fullest potential. And if you don't see them, let's figure out how to find them. Now, after you've kind of figured out those things, you know, who you are, what you want out of life, what your potential might look at, then it's time to take a look at your goals versus your potential and see if they align. Let me talk through a couple of examples here. Most of us will agree that if you want to get the most out of life, you need to get some type of education. Now, back when I was in high school, that meant going to college. Way back before that, it was more about apprenticeships. Seems like throughout history, what it meant to get an education has changed dramatically. And now it seems like there are a much larger variety of ways to get an education. So how do you choose what's right for you? This depends on a lot of things that I mentioned earlier, knowing yourself, style, all of those kinds of things. And then knowing what you want to get out of life and what your strengths are. For example, if I know from my own analysis or with the help of others that I do much better in a hands-on environment... I may not want to choose a career that will require me to sit in a classroom for four years just to get a basic degree. Now, does that limit your opportunities? Well, that depends on what your life's goals are. Let's say that eventually you want to own your own business, have flexibility, and have a good income. You've also found that you're naturally good at working with people and you enjoy solving problems. So what might be a good fit here? In the town where I live, there's just a ton of construction going on. I would think that if you enjoy hands-on kinds of things, you could look at something related to construction where you could be an apprentice. I don't know the actual process here, so I'm just making assumptions until you become certified. From what I have seen, that is almost all hands-on learning. You could on the side take some business classes or take advantage of the extensive small business resources available on the internet. 
Eventually, you could own your own construction business and have others working for you where you could be around people and even be a mentor, have the flexibility of having a business, and have a good income. Now, do you see how all these pieces came together? And do you see how if you chose a more traditional education where you may not end up in the place of most potential? I've talked a little bit about my two oldest kids and their education. One of them just completed a four-month technical course, and she's now certified for her chosen profession, which will give her plenty of opportunities to interact with others, which is a must in her book, and provide for her kids. My oldest son is about to graduate with his bachelor's degree. He's a musician, he plays the violin, and is starting to think about his next step, which is most likely more education. But he's also thinking through his personality style, he recently took the assessment, and the major theme, which is that he is all about making connections. He's trying to figure out if that aligns with what he thought he wanted to do from a professional standpoint. He's been teaching private lessons and has realized that while he likes the teaching, what he really enjoys is the connection with his students and others in the process. Now this example brings up another good point and that is what do we do when our goals, potential, etc. maybe aren't quite aligned. In his case, he just needs to make some small adjustments. Still keeps him on the same basic, basic path so it's not a major change, but what if more drastic change is needed? We as leaders need to be willing to help others work through this kind of a situation. Sometimes we have to be the ones to sit down and point out that things just may not be realistic. Other times the individual will realize it and ask for help. In either situation, we do need to be careful not to crush someone's dreams. Maybe the dreams aren't realistic, but that doesn't mean we just stomp on them. Now think about someone that wants to become a professional athlete. How many of those are there really in the world? And what if they're so passionate about their sport but really have no natural talent or any real opportunities to succeed there? And that's a tough situation, especially if you have seen how much passion and effort they put into it. This is tough, but as a leader, maybe a parent or a good friend in this case, it might fall on you to help them find a way to still be involved in the sport without actually being the one on the field or court. There are lots of opportunities in sports that don't depend on athleticism. So help them look at what they are really good at and work to identify possible opportunities where they can use their real potential to get the most out of life. As a leader in a professional environment, I've had a lot of these kinds of conversations. First, hopefully you have a foundation of trust because if you have to tell someone that their career aspirations are not realistic, it's not going to be easy. If you've built up the kind of trust I talked about in the last episode, then they may be more open to your guidance. I've had people come to me saying that they wanted to be a people manager. Some of them had natural ability to work with others and some of the other core skills required to be a manager. Others were best at rubbing people the wrong way and were the individuals that nobody wanted to partner with. I know that's a bit extreme, but it has happened. And the way I approached the latter was to be realistic about their current state and then talk about the key skills they would need to develop to get there. Oftentimes, the combination of current state plus what would have to change helps them realize that maybe it's not a good fit. If that still doesn't work, you have a couple of choices. You can continue to push back, or you can move forward as you would with someone that has the potential for the position. At times, you'll be surprised at the change that comes over individuals. And if they don't progress, then that gives you additional opportunities to have the discussion. But at least they won't be able to say that you killed their dream. Now, just one more example from my life. This is something my wife and I are working through right now. For a whole bunch of reasons, health and otherwise, we believe that we would be better off in a climate that was more suited for outdoor activities. 
I'm not just talking about camping, but all kinds of outdoor activities, except those that require cold and snow. So if we think about how we can get the most out of life, we started to think about relocating to summer with better temperatures year-round. Well, why is that important? How does that help us get the most out of life? Well, exercise, health improvement, and just being in a place where we aren't stuck inside for four months of the year help us with what our goals are. So that's a change from the past and something we are working towards. So I think the message there is that along the way, there will be course corrections that you need to make. Goals may change. Even your potential may change. Strengths could change. So just be open to that and look for ways that you can course correct and then be there to support others as they need to do so as well. So that's a lot about personal potential. But when evaluating professional potential, all of those things definitely apply. But beyond that, you also need to evaluate some of the things that are specific to the job. First would be the current skill set. Look at soft and hard skills, but don't get hung up only on the skills that they are currently using to do their job. You want to look at those things that may not be quite as obvious. For example, if you have an individual contributor that everyone seems to go to when they need to learn something new, that's a good indicator that there's a skill there. When I was managing a support team several years ago, I had a technician on my team that was good technically, but his customer service skills just seemed so natural. He was great no matter who he was talking to. We had a new initiative we had launched, and it was struggling, and I had the thought that while he may not have had all the technical skills yet, his customer service skills were just what we needed to make the initiative successful. He definitely hit a home run in that role. And that's a good example of another thing to evaluate, the potential to learn new skills. I love to solve problems, and I've often heard that computer programming is a form of problem solving. Back when smartphone apps were becoming tremendously popular, I thought it would be great to learn how to program so I could build my own app. And that didn't work out at all. No matter how often I tried, I just couldn't get my brain to work the way it needed to. Maybe with more formal training I could have gotten there, but I knew myself well enough to know that it just wasn't going to be part of my path, so I focused elsewhere. In order to help others reach their potential, leaders also need to look beyond the individual's potential and goals. We need to take into account things like what their current position is, what opportunities may be available to them in the company or industry. If they're looking to make a change, then we could also help them evaluate where they might find opportunities that better align with their potential and path. I've seen way too many leaders that are afraid to help high potentials look for a better opportunity elsewhere. I understand why they're hesitant, but there are two problems with this. First, normally the fear is based on their own selfish needs, not wanting to replace a high performer. That's not great leadership. Second, most likely they're going to leave anyway because they want the opportunity to realize their fullest potential, not just part of it. So instead of letting fear dictate your actions, make a difference in their lives and help them take that next step. Once we've evaluated potential and kind of identified what that is and what the path is going to be, how do we help move folks forward? There are a few other things that we as leaders can do to help others get the most out of life and help them move towards the potential. And I'd like to spend the last part of this episode talking about a few of them. It's going to be a bit more professional focus, but I'll try and weave in some life application as well. Now, the best plan can do wonders to help someone see that meeting their potential is within their grasp. Sometimes others also need to be inspired to see and then put in the effort to reach their potential. And sometimes we as leaders need others to reach their potential if we are going to do the same. This doesn't happen if you employ the old school command and control style of leadership. What you need is to build trust, inspire them to move forward, and then support them as they do so. 
Last episode was all about trust, so let's talk about inspiration and support. I want to start off with a quote attributed to Eleanor Roosevelt. She said, a good leader inspires people to have confidence in the leader. A great leader inspires people to have confidence in themselves. So that's where we start, helping others to build the confidence in their own ability to meet their potential and get what they want out of life. In this week's Little Lift, I talked about putting ourselves in the place of most potential. So that is step number one. As leaders, we often have the opportunity to put people on a project, team, or in another situation that will allow them to start on that pathway. Sometimes it's as simple as an assignment. Other times, it's more of a formal position. In a couple of the organizations I've worked in, I had individual contributors that wanted to be people managers. In some ways, it's hard to give assignments to develop those skills, so I had to get creative. In my first call center management role, I had a double-sized team covering two different initiatives. I was having a hard time keeping up, but I also had a couple of folks that were high performers and aspired to more. We didn't have any structure to support their development, so I made it up. I split the team into two and started having them each work with half the team on key areas, training, stats, reviews, etc. Anything that I could involve them in that wouldn't be a breach of confidentiality. It worked great. I kept expanding what they handled and they kept rising to the occasion. Eventually, we put in a position called coach, and they were quickly promoted and eventually took on their own teams as well. This is a way to give someone management experience before giving them the full opportunity. And this leads into another key thing we can do, and that is provide the right, right amount of support, but make sure they own their assignments and their entire plan for that matter. And two important ways to do that. First, let them make mistakes and even fall on their face a bit. You shouldn't try and prevent every mistake, and you have to allow them to take at least some risks as they learn and grow. Sometimes the best learning comes from our failures. And not only do you let them make mistakes, but don't bail them out and don't clean up their messes for them. If they make mistakes, help them figure out how to fix it, but don't do it for them. The second piece here is called Giving Back the Marker and comes from the book Multipliers that I mentioned earlier. Here's the idea. As you help develop someone you are leading, you will eventually need to give them something meaningful to own, and maybe they aren't quite ready for it. That's fine because you'll be there to support them. When they come to you and say, I'm stuck and I need your help, what are you going to do? Now, the most common response is to jump in, provide the solution, and make sure it stays on track. But is that really the best thing for their development? The better approach would be to start asking questions, help them get back on the right path, and then make sure they have taken back ownership and control of the situation and let them move forward. Now, taking this approach has a few benefits. First and foremost, you don't bail them out. Second, they learn how to work through unknown situations. And third, they see how you approach coming up with the solution and hopefully can learn something from it and apply the principles the next time. Recently, as I've been working with my son on his post-high school plans, there have been a lot of these situations that have come up from navigating college and scholarship applications to actually thinking through what he wants to do. For the problem solver in me, it would have been real easy to just take it and run with it. I know my mom did when I was going through the same situation. But instead, I asked a lot of questions, provided some advice, and expressed confidence that he would make the right decision. He has stepped up and kept things moving forward. Now, that doesn't mean I haven't had to remind him of deadlines and such, but he really has owned the process. And I think this is even more important for my adult kids that come and ask for advice. Sometimes it would be easier to just solve the problem versus help them do so. But that would just make them even more dependent on me and compromise their ability to meet their fullest potential. 
One other concept I want to cover is something else I got out of multipliers. I had never really thought about this, but it made a lot of sense. And that's that one of the ways we as leaders can help others reach for their potential is by creating the right kind of environment. That environment should be one where we and those around us are not afraid to make mistakes. And it should also be an environment that expects and even demands best effort, but one that does not equate results with those efforts. I had to think about that for a bit, especially coming from a world where everything was measured. And if you hit your numbers, you were good. If you didn't, you weren't. But here's how I interpret that concept. You want to create an environment where best efforts should bring about the results you're striving for. But in most cases, those results won't only depend on the best effort, but also most likely depend on outside factors as well. So what you want to do is make sure you can show how best efforts will bring about the results and then hold everyone accountable for those best efforts, not necessarily for the results. Let me give you an example. Back before everyone automatically signed up for online banking, I know it sounds like I'm saying back in my day, but back before everyone automatically signed up for online banking, we had a goal for our agents related to how many online banking sales they made. There were financial and performance incentives connected to that goal. That's fine. But when I would talk to agents, I was more concerned about what their best effort might be to achieve the goal. I couldn't change the goal itself, but I would work with them on how many offers they made. That was something they could control. They couldn't control who accepted the offer, only how many they made. So that's a simple example, but think about how that could apply in other circumstances. One of the results of this approach is that you create an environment that is intense, meaning it demands the very best, they have to make their offers, but it's not tense because people don't feel like they're gonna be punished for mistakes or for things that are out of their control. That type of environment is what multipliers argues makes it possible for folks to meet or even exceed their potential. You still need to be results oriented and you still need to hold others accountable, but this is definitely an approach worth exploring. And then the final two ideas here are related. First, don't be afraid to course correct yourself or others. And second, be patient with both yourself and those you're working with. Course correction can come when you find yourself on a path that is no longer viable, when your goals in life change, as my wife's and mine have changed many times in relation to where we want to live. And as the world changes, I mean, think about how remote work has impacted many folks' goals and circumstances, or just as other circumstances change in general. So always be open to course corrections. And then again, please be patient with yourself and with others. The idea that working towards our personal potential is what will help us get the most out of life and help us be happy is not something I learned about until much later in life. I wish I had come across it earlier. To be a better leader, to build more meaningful relationships, and to align our lives with our potential, we need to combine this with the concept of knowing ourselves better and all of these things that I've been talking about for these last several episodes. It's worth some of our best effort to get to know ourselves identify what we really want out of life, as well as build a plan to meet that fullest potential. And that's only possible if we're true to ourselves and if we build the right kind of relationships. I hope over these last several episodes, you're starting to see how all of these pieces fit together to help us become better leaders, leaders for ourselves and leaders for others. For today, think about how you can put yourself and others you have influence over in the place of most potential and then how you provide support and guidance to help others move down the path towards that potential. I can think of no greater way to meet your personal potential as a leader 
than to help others meet theirs. And I hope that you have that as one of your primary goals in life. Next week, I'll be talking about some practical ways to develop your team. It'll be a bit more professional focused, but I should also have some examples that have more general application. I hope you'll join me for that episode. If you want to be notified of future episodes, hit the subscribe or follow button or follow LDRS LFT on Instagram. You can also visit our website for more great content and resources to help you on your leadership journey. And check out the show notes for all the relevant links and takeaways from this episode. Thank you again for tuning in. Now go out there and keep lifting.